0: We are live on The Conversations. That Matter had our podcast at about uh, 12, 57 or so, maybe a little before that. I logged in to uh, get the podcast started, and I got the black screen of death. And so my computer just totally froze, and I couldn't do anything. Control-out, delete wasn't working, so uh, I had to restart it. So for those asking, you know, isn't John's podcast supposed to start? Yeah, I was supposed to start 10 minutes ago, but um, I had to get everything back up and running, and so hopefully it all works out. I'm not sure why that happened, but um, uh, it yeah. If it keeps happening, I'll have to do something about that. Maybe I'll have to switch to Mac. I know some of you, you that's your thing. You love Mac computers. Uh, I've been raised on Microsoft, so I don't know what I, I can tell you. Um, old habits, right? So anyway, um, we it looks like we're working here. If you can hear me, let me know just so I can make sure everything's working. Someone says I'm on. Good. Okay. So we have uh, the numbers climbing as people are coming into the stream. Um, yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about this Anley Stanley thing. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to relate it to something that I've been um, thinking about. And Jared Moore actually has a new book coming out on concupiscence on on the lust of the flesh. I think is the title. And I was skimming through some of the things uh, that he wrote in there, and I'm planning on doing a, a review of the book, and maybe having him on the podcast, but um, I think I want to play a clip. I might play it again in a podcast with him or a podcast on concupiscence in the future, but I want to play it today. And maybe we'll get started with that clip, actually, and we'll just jump into it because um, this is a montage. I made this actually months ago of uh, some popular Roman Catholic apologists, thinkers, and what they have to say about concupiscence, which is uh, you know, basically it's the Latin term for for desire, um, but uh, it's their view of this. Their view, especially when it comes to this, is where it gets. I I, I would say, applicational, and the divergences are clearly seen on the issue of same sex attraction. Their view is different than the Protestant view or the Reformed Protestant view, and so I want to highlight that a little bit before we get started, and then you can ask yourself the question: Is what Andy Stanley saying? Is the, is the basic error, or at least one of the basic errors, and I think it is the basic error he's making, related to this. Is he adopting a teaching that's not it's not really a biblical teaching, or maybe even or a Protestant teaching, but um, I'm not saying he's getting this directly from Roman Catholicism, but at the very least, it parallels a, a difference that I thought was hashed out in the Reformation. So... Uh, we will get into that. So Truddle asked if I saw the James White debate on side B. I did not No, Sorry. I've heard about it a little bit. Um, I think one, one or two people told me about it, but I have not, uh, seen it. So, uh, maybe we'll talk about that. I don't know. How was it? <laughs> How did, how'd y'all think it was? If if any of you saw it, let me know in the chat section here. Um, all right. So we're going to start off with some clips. These aren't from Andy Stanley. We're going to get to the Andy Stanley stuff, uh, in due course, but I want to start off with some clips, from some Roman Catholic apologists on this topic of concupiscence and and specifically same-sex attraction. How does uh, their concept of, of concupiscence com- and whether or not that is a sin to have desires before you're acting on them, basically, whether or not that is in itself a sin or sinful. So um, let, let's get there. Let's see if I can pull it up. Here we go. Catechism, paragraph 1264. Just for the folks who may not know what that says. It says, "...yet certain temporal consequences of sin remain in the baptized, such as suffering, illness, death, and such frailties inherent in life, as weaknesses of character and so on, as well as an inclination to sin that tradition calls concupiscence," or metaphorically, the tender for sin. Fomus picati in Latin, right? Since concupiscence is left for us to wrestle with, it cannot harm those who do not consent but manfully resist it by the grace of Jesus Christ. Indeed, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The Catholic Church Catechism states homosexual persons are called to chastity. By the virtues of self-mastery that teach them their inner freedom, at times by the support of disinterested friendship, by prayer and sacramental grace, they can and should gradually and resolutely approach Christian perfection. The church is not saying that the desire is a sin. See actions are sins, desires are not. Because you can't be charged with a sin for something you didn't choose, something you can't be in control of. But once we have these attractions to whatever, then I need to choose how I behave.
1: So is concupiscence a sin? See, the, the Protestants uh, confused concupiscence with sin. You know, that, that original sin is in us and we are still in sin and concupiscence is proof of it. It's, it's sin in us. You see, That's wrong. It's, so it's not a sin in itself. Sin comes from the will. That's a very important point.
0: Okay. Well, there you have it. That's uh, a number of different Catholic apologists and teachers. uh, I, I think accurately depicting the doctrine of the Catholic church on this question of uh, same-sex attraction and concupiscence more broadly. And uh, what you'll notice, and I, and I think Andy Stanley <laughs> goes past this. I don't think they would approve of where Andy Stanley's taken this necessarily, but Um, What I'm trying to do is show you that the basic error that I think Rome advocates on this particular question is that sins can only be sins if they are of the will, that that's the only place that sin essentially resides. So if it's there's a um, a, there's desires, there's uh, temptations, attractions, inclinations, whatever term you want to use. That someone can have for something that God has not ordained, that is wrong, that is sinful, were that person to actually uh, carry out the desires that they have. But the Catholic Church has determined that those things are not actually in themselves sin. And and the reason for this really is that once you're baptized, uh, that in, in Catholic doctrine, the baptism takes away original sin. So when you still sin, right, when you still commit errors, there has to be a category for that, for the Christian who's been baptized. So it's, it's a willful sin in that sense. It's not original sin. And it's not something that um, uh, if you have a desire for, you are necessarily guilty of. So they create a category there. And, and that's the reason they create this category. So, so essentially, someone who is baptized into um, the Roman Catholic Church who you know the original sin has been essentially taken away, but there's still this, this uh, these sinful actions. At some point, they can't originate from deep within because that's already been taken care of. I'm I'm oversimplifying here, but um, but I don't think I'm being inaccurate to what the doctrine actually uh, teaches. And and I hope to get into this a little more in some future podcasts. So, um, my point wasn't to get deep into Catholic doctrine in this podcast, but just to start it off with showing that this is probably foreign to you. If you grew up in a Protestant church, you you didn't hear this kind of thing, uh, especially when it comes to the sin of covetousness. We were told in, in just about every gospel presentation, we were told that God looks at the desires of your heart, that um, the secret sins, the things that no one knows about except yourself, God knows about. And so he's going to judge you according to those things. Uh, So, this is probably familiar for most of the audience who um, happens to be Protestant. I know there are a few Catholic Roman Catholics who uh, uh, do listen to this podcast and Eastern Orthodox. So if you are listening, um, Hey, let me know if, what you think about my depiction here and where, where you think I could have, uh, well, I'm not giving a full, de- full uh, description, but at least um, uh, what you think of my description, my, my limited description here of concupiscence. But anyway, you, you heard the, the clips. That's what uh, Rome teaches. Now, I want to bring this into the Stanley discussion because we're going to go over a number of clips from Andy Stanley. He preached a sermon last Sunday. Protestia uh, actually uh, had someone, I guess, send them the audio. So they captured the audio and posted it online. You go to protestia.com and find that. Um, I took the audio and cleaned it up more. So the link to this video, you'll find a cleaned up version of that because in I think the original version, someone was sitting in the audience recording on their iPhone or something. And, and so you hear some background noise and things. And so I, I tried to clean some of that out of it. But um, but I'm gonna play some some of that clip and we're gonna talk about it a little bit uh, as we go. So let's start here.
1: Engineered all those years.
0: Hopefully everyone can hear that. I'm gonna see if I can turn the volume as high as I can for you.
1: This is the magnitude of why we're taking this thing to talk about it. The, the confusion is created in different parts of the world, especially with missionary organizations and churches who look to us for leadership, and all of a sudden, they read these articles accusing us of all kinds of stuff, and they begin to lose their confidence, and they wonder, hey, what's going on in Atlanta, and what's going on specifically with Andy? So we decided to address it.
0: Okay, so I want to start by saying that this is an admission that outlets like Protestia, like this podcast, and like many others who have focused on Andy Stanley's errors have been largely successful in convincing Christians who maybe listen to Stanley that he's not correct biblically when he approaches this topic of homosexuality and same-sex attraction. And so this is something that I think is an encouragement in a way. (laughs) I, I, at least I take it that way that, um, It does have an effect. You do have an effect out there when you share these kinds of videos around. And so Stanley has to, he's forced to react to some of the criticism he's gotten, which we've talked about on this podcast before for conferences he's hosted and uh, things he said about this topic of homosexuality. So, um, and and for those who don't know, I should probably say this too. Andy Stanley is the son of Charles Stanley, who was very instrumental in the Southern Baptist Convention's conservative resurgence. He's got a a mega church, uh, North Point. Uh, church um, in uh, in Georgia, I believe, and he is the uh, he has a big name. We'll put it that way. So it's it's not like he's controlling an entire denomination, uh, but uh, you'll hear later. I think I included the clip where he talks about missionaries and others being impacted because of any connection to North Point and to Stanley, uh, because of the criticisms against him from more orthodox believers who are concerned about his stance. So an encouraging thing just to to get started here that, hey, the pressure does, it does mean something Um, when it's good biblical pressure of this is what the Bible says is what you're saying.
1: That version of Christianity draws lines and Jesus drew circles. He drew circles so large and included so many people in his circle that it consistently made religious leaders nervous. And his circle was big enough to include sinners like me.
0: So he, he says that Jesus in this talk, which is about 50 minutes. So I've taken about what seven minutes of it. Uh, you can go listen to the whole thing if you want all the context. But um, he says that the difference between Jesus and I think he's reacting to an Al Mohler article, ironically, is that uh, the criticisms against him aren't the kinds of things Jesus would say. Jesus wouldn't criticize Andy Stanley for embracing same-sex attraction as a legitimate category and hosting conferences that really do affirm LGBT-type activities and identities and that kind of thing. Because Jesus, he says, the pattern of Jesus was drawing circles, and, and, and that meant expanding the tent of Christianity into sinners so that so, so obviously the, the key problem with this, and, and I think everyone should be able to recognize this hopefully, is that what he's doing is he's assuming that when Jesus sat down with sinners and tax gatherers who were repentant, who wanted to come to Jesus because they wanted the life in Christ that he offered and they did not, they wanted to reject their sin for a better life, for the true life that Christ brings, that that somehow that creates this legitimate category for uh, living as a Christian without mortifying these desires somehow with keeping these desires around these sinful desires that you, you're not going to find that anywhere. Jesus doesn't expand to adulterers into uh, zealots who were involved in, um, you know, nefarious activities, tax gatherers, what you know, whatever the, 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 the evil people of that time were, were publicly known as evil um, had reputations of evil, those kinds of people. He didn't say, well, you can, you, you can be an adulterer still in your heart, but you just can't act on it anymore. And that's that's me expanding the circle. So so I there's adulterers in the circle. No, such were some of you. Right. Um, they were repentant. That was the whole that was the whole premise of when Jesus told the Pharisees, uh, it's those who are sick who need a doctor, who need a healer. So it was sick people who wanted to get better. And Andy Stanley has to kind of uh, ignore that if he wants to make this argument about Christ, at least. Pretty basic stuff here, but somehow this is uh, this is what's passing for preaching in Andy Stanley's church.
1: I'm going to tell you the backstory to the current story and then talk about our story moving forward. So we've got to go back in time for a few years. In 2014, um, Tom Sheff-Sunas and Kevin Ragsdale, who oversaw our amazing network of middle school and high school ministries, go our network. Of churches, uh, I think it was Tom that first came to me. He said, "Andy, um, more and more middle school students are coming out to their small group leaders about their same sex attraction." And we had already seen this begin to happen with high school students coming out to their small group leaders. And so Tom and, and Kevin said, "Hey, Andy, our small group leaders and our and our, our volunteers—they just don't feel equipped to talk to a middle school or a high school student about same sex attraction. And would you put together a training to help our leaders, um, you know, know what to do with this?" Well. To me, that is an extraordinary win. This is, you know, this is almost 10 years ago. Once upon a time, I don't have to tell you this, once upon a time, the last place a middle school student or a high school student was going to talk about their same-sex attraction, the last place they were going to talk about it was where? In church. And now they feel confident and they feel connected to where they can talk about the most sensitive area of their life with their small group leader in church. I'm telling you, I'm so proud of our church and our volunteers and this incredible system that Kevin engineered all those years ago that's so relationally driven. So
0: So this is a double down. Stanley's saying that everything that's happened at North Point Church in regards to this issue has been, has yielded positive fruit. And so that fruit though is manifested in the approachability of the leadership. So people with same sex attraction are willing to come and talk about it to the leadership, and that is his measure of success. And and so I, I will just note that if that is the only measure of success, at least the you, there's a major problem because um, you can have people people feel very affirmed and approached, uh, able to approach leaders in just about any secular, academic, or um, I guess media or you know a, a really any uh, medical establishment, any, any institution you can think of outside the church about now in 2023, people feel fairly confident talking about their homosexuality. So you, you, you have to look at this as if Andy Stanley is saying we've caught up to them. We're just like them now in, in that sense that people feel confident talking about something that before caused so much shame, but now uh, they're willing to to do that, and and I do want to say, you know, there there is this, um, there is a truth to if someone's a repentant sinner and they're coming to you saying I have a problem, you do want approachability in your church. That's absolutely true. You don't want there to be such a a climate of like of uh, condemnation for someone who's actually trying to repent from a sin. But um, at the same time, that those conversations need to be about the repentance and about solving the issue, right? And, and not just making the metric talking about it and they feel comfortable, well, you know, good. Um, and, and there should be some shame attached to some of this. It should be something that, you know, you don't really want to talk about necessarily because it's, it's embarrassing. It's shameful. I mean, those public shame is a powerful force. It's actually can be a very good thing when it's, um, when it corresponds with God's plan and his, his law, because, it's what actually prevents people from going farther than they would, because they, uh, you know, that may, that may be the last line of defense, but they don't want to suffer the embarrassment of doing something that people consider evil and shameful. So, uh, so there should be some shame, but but despite the shame, there should be an approachability for those who want to actually repent. Is that what Andy's talking about? He's not really making those qualifications, but he's. But he's he's just making the, the conversation is happening and that means that we're in the right spot somehow.
1: The truth is the majority of gay adults acknowledge that at some point in their lives, they ask God to take it away. In my experience, I've talked to many, 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 many gay men in particular. And I would say they don't just ask God to take it away. They beg God to take it away. They weep and ask God to take them away. They're afraid of disappointing their parents. Depending on the church that they attend, they are literally afraid they are going to hell. Not because of anything they've done, but because of who they are. Because of the message, not of culture, the message, the church.
0: Just. Okay, so we've heard this so many times. We've talked about it on this podcast uh, in particular. This idea that because people who experience uh, same-sex attraction, um, because they, they're embarrassed about it, they feel, in, in the context of the church, they feel somehow judged by it and those kinds of things, that there's all these negative consequences uh, that come from that. And it's just a horrible thing that there's churches that um, harbor these these kinds of sentiments against same sex attracted people. This is where you get living out's audit uh, for to make sure your church is safe, right? For this, that's uh, Sam Albury's, I guess, organization. He was at least a co founder in, and Tim Keller was one of the ones who was instrumental in bringing that out uh, years ago to help churches navigate this issue by being sensitive to those kinds of. Feelings, um, but they're not. They're focused. If you notice, the focus is shifted. It's it's on man. Our focus is totally on w- how does man feel uh, in this particular situation? Um, is there a way to make them feel more comfortable instead of looking at okay, what does God say about this? We wouldn't really do this with any other sin, and I think that holds true for every clip I'm going to play here from Andy Stanley. You know, substitute any other sin that's the the world, let's say, considers really bad and you, it would make no sense for a church to then soft pedal it or try to be so sensitive to the, the people who commit that sin and and are, are fine with it, I guess, having those desires still to commit that sin and want to be affirmed in that somehow um, being comfortable and feeling accepted uh, in, in a Christian situation. Let's play the next clip here.
1: Our should be ours should be the last generation of parents and families in the local church who go through this experience feeling isolated and without help in other words let's put an end to this let's create communities inside of our church where again as I said to that group you know almost 10 years ago the church should be the safest place on the planet for students to talk about anything including same-sex attraction and the church should be the safest place on the planet for parents to talk about anything including their kids who are struggling with and wrestling with same-sex attraction or their kids that have just come out and embraced the identity of mom dad I'm gay
0: so the church is a safe space now is what you're hearing Uh, which is really what I said earlier. I mean, let's catch up to what the world's doing. Let's make a safe space here for that particular sin. And it's just interesting. He focuses on that and not, he doesn't broaden it. It's not, um, maybe he would have given the opportunity, maybe in other sermons he has, but uh, would he take some of the sins that, uh, or even sometimes they're not even sins, but they're, uh, they could be sin adjacent or connected to sin, or they might not even be sin at all. It's just the world happens to have their own metric and in their metric, it's, it's evil. But, but think about like, you know, uh, misogyny, sexism, uh, racism, um, uh, all the buzzwords, anti semitism, kinism, uh, think about, um, even some of the sexual sins that are still considered taboo, like pedophilia or polygamy. Right. And. And would you preach a sermon in which you would take any of those sins and fill them into that spot and say someone with uh pedophilia um inclinations desires uh we think that they should feel comfortable and it's so horrible that they we don't have a safe space in the church for them it sounds kind of weird even when i say it because we know innately that that's that's something that's morally evil and it should be dealt with. If some and I I believe I'm I'm consistent on this. I do think people with those uh, uh inclinations or those those temptations, those attractions, those sinful feelings should go to their pastor and they should talk about that. They should seek help, uh Christian help for those kinds of things. They should feel comfortable sharing those things in the sense that their pastor at least is going to help them through it, but they should not feel comfortable in the sense that they're going to continue to be accepted and uh, it, it, their, and their desires are going to be seen as acceptable somehow. And people aren't going to uh, think uh, less of them or, or think less of their Christian walk if they have those desires, because there's a problem with your Christian walk if you have desires like that. Um, it's the lust of the flesh. Uh, it's, it's, it's of the world. It's, it, it, and, and look, every, every Christian struggles with um, sins at, at times in their life, no matter what the sin is. But it doesn't mean that those things are somehow acceptable or those things are somehow part of, can, can live a, alongside the identity one has in Christ.
1: So, time went by, they wrote a book called Embracing the Journey. It's available, it's their story. Last year, Gray and Lynn then reached out and said, hey, we want to do a conference. We do all of our ministry you know, digitally. But we'd like to do a conference that we can invite parents with LGBTQ plus kids. And we want to invite some experts to talk to them to help them take their next step, make sure that they're healthy personally, make sure that their marriages are healthy as they continue this journey with their precious children. We want to call it the Unconditional Conference. And so, of course, we said, well, sure. I mean, we've we've been in this space for 10 years. Why wouldn't we host the conference? Well, as soon as they began marketing the conference, all the Christian critics pounced they were, what they said about Greg and Lynn was cruel, what they said about Debbie Causey and Al was cruel, what they said about you was cruel, you need to flee the church, Andy's a heretic, he's sending people to hell, and I almost saw some of this stuff, hopefully not, I look at it all, I never turn away from criticism, it's the only way to learn, and sometimes I go, huh, (laughs) hope heaven's big, and we're different.
0: (laughs) 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 I I will say this, for those who are you know gay affirming, and uh, they like what Andy Stanley's been doing. You should notice that Andy Stanley, even in that joke, uh, he is admitting that the people who are his worst critics in his mind will be in heaven with him. So just, just saying, you know, if <laughs> Andy's, he's trying to have it both ways. And so he, he's not condemning them to, uh, to hell for their uh, condemnation of what North point's doing, but he is uh he is against what they're saying. He is against their criticism, even though he's saying he's trying to uh, learn from it. Now, the book he's talking about here that's being criticized that they used, they held a conference with these people, is by Greg and Lynn McDonald, and it's called Embracing the Journey. And I figured I would just show you one page just to, just to give you a little idea of like the kinds of things you can find in that particular book. So here it is. This is on page 134. Over the years, I said Lynn and I attended, had attended, Dozens of weddings. Sometimes we knew the couple were very well. Sometimes we knew either the bride or the groom. Sometimes we only knew the parents. More than a few couples in those weddings had been living together for years before they tied the knot. And though Lynn and I believe that God created sex to be enjoyed only within the boundaries of marriage, we never avoided a wedding because of the couple's previous sex life. We never felt like our presence was somehow putting a Christian stamp of approval on their choices. So look where they take this. Knowing that about ourselves, Lynn and I would attend the same sex weddings of our friends and perhaps someday of our son as a way of loving them and maintaining a presence and influence in their lives. So, th- this is the kind of thing you find in this book. And it's important for you to me-, me to mention this just because Andy Stanley's trying to make out that what North Point's doing is they're helping these hurting kids and hurting um, people who attend their church along by providing comfort and encouragement and, uh, that they haven't really, you'll hear in a minute, they haven't changed their stance on marriage or any of these things. It's really just them trying to be what Christians are called to be, to be encouragers. And part of though, the encouragement, this is key here is affirming things like that saying, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll go support my son's same sex wedding. I'll go and be part of that. Uh, I'll go to friends who are participating in that kind of thing. I'll go to their weddings, and so it's it's actually endorsement. Like it's not just encouragement to flee the sin; it's an endorsement of the lifestyle, sin, the uh, pattern of uh, error that they are um, that they are stuck in. It, best case scenario, and it, you're embracing it. You're at, you're you're showing them that it's not really that big of a deal because you're gonna out of love. Here's the thing, though: out of love, would you? support someone who's involved in some kind of an, uh, another sin that's equally, um, according to, you know, the Old Testament, to it's abomination. Would you go and support another abomination because it's it's loving? I mean, look, I'll, I'll visit someone in jail if they uh, commit a, a crime, if they steal something or they rape someone or they they rob. Or, I mean, these are all still things that, you know, most people would agree are bad, uh, thankfully, and they are. I would go visit someone in jail, but I'm not going to go while they are in the midst of committing the crime and clap for them or make my, give them an approval by showing up and not trying to stop them. Or, you know, when, when the objection phase comes up, is there anyone who would, well, if that still comes up in ceremony, so is there anyone who would object to the, this marriage? You know, you're obligated if you're in the audience. I mean, you have to, like, (laughs) that that's just, there is an objection. Of course there is. So um, let's, let's keep going here with Andy Stanley and just listen to every clip was terrible, <laughs> just every clip has so many holes in it, but we're, we're going to continue here. We're about maybe 33% through, uh, the clips that I had cued.
1: As our size, you can find individuals who believe just about anything, everything, and nothing. The better question perhaps is this question. What do we teach? What do we teach your children? Your grandchildren? What do we teach about these issues? And it's the same thing we have taught for 28 years. Nothing has changed. Again, I tell you all the time. Sandra and I raised our kids in these environments. We are thoroughly satisfied, customers. And the thought that somebody is leaving our church over misinformation and pulling their kids out of our fabulous environments that breaks my heart. Their parents are going to be fine. You can find good preaching, you know, just about anywhere. But the environments that we've created for kids are they are the best. Again, thoroughly satisfied customers. But as it relates to sexuality, here's what we teach. And hopefully you know this. I feel like if you've been coming for a while, there, there should be no question about this. But I don't mind just putting it out there. We teach what I refer to as a New Testament sexual ethic. In fact, I read a whole book about this. The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. My son Andrew calls it Loving, Sex, and Dating. I'm like, that's not the name of the book. It's the New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. Anyway. So,
0: so, so he's talking about, uh, he's trying to show that there's been a consistency. He's saying... We here at North Point Church have not changed anything. People are just, I guess, woke up one morning and decided to attack us. You know, why didn't they attack us 15 years ago? We've been saying the same thing. Well, the fact is they haven't been. They've been moving in a certain direction. But his defense is that here's what the New Testament teaches and here's what we affirm. And so if you remember from previous episodes, Andy Stanley does not think Christians are bound to follow Old Testament law at all. Uh, even the moral principles there, it's its really strictly New Testament. He's uh, he, I mean, hes really heretical on that topic. I don't know how else to uh, frame it. And and so when he says New Testament ethic, he's trying to limit it to what the New Testament says. Of course, the New Testament, though, imports the categories from the Old Testament. That's inescapable. Uh, you, the, the original audiences would not have understood, especially the Jude, uh, Jewish audiences, what these categories are, what, what Porneia encapsulated. Um, when Jesus talked about it, they, they knew because they already had the Old Testament playing in their minds. They, they knew what it was talking about, what Jesus was talking about. So um, I'll let Andy continue here and you can listen to his defense.
1: From middle school to high school to college to singles to marriage to single, single again every age and stage of life this is what we teach whether a student is straight or gay or questioning this is what we say hey if you're going to follow Jesus while you're figuring this out if you're going to follow Jesus as you struggle with your identity or some of the things you're feeling as you're as you're if you're going to follow Jesus here's what it looks like sexually to follow Jesus and the reason your heavenly father has called you to live this way is because he loves you but here it is it's just three statements number 1 honor God with your body because The Holy Spirit lives in you, and your body is how people know what you believe and where you stand, and your behavior through your body is to exemplify the goodness of God and the grace of God and the love of God, so you always honor God with your body, and you always honor other people's bodies. Number two, don't be mastered by anything, not by porn not by a sexual addiction. Don't be mastered by another person. Don't be mastered by your infatuation. Don't be mastered by your lust. Don't be mastered by anything. You have a master, and he's a king, and he loves you, and he created you, and he knows what's best for you. And number three, the old-fashioned one. Don't sexualize a relationship outside of marriage. That is so old-fashioned. No sex before married. Well, if you're not married, I mean, who even teaches that anymore? Always have. Always will. And and when people think we've listened to it before, you know wandered away from this this earlier this year, Joel Thomas did this amazing series called Intimate Encounters. And one of the messages it was specifically about fidelity in marriage and sexual purity outside of marriage. And I mean he just was right on the nose. And at the end of the message at one campus at least, people broke out clapping, like yes we're glad somebody believes that and here's why we're not going to blink on this and i've asked you know people in crowds this question i've asked many people dozens of people over the you know desk this question hey has sex outside of marriage made your life better or has it made it more complicated has sex outside of marriage made the person you had sex with did it make their life better or did it make their life more complicated
0: so we're going to keep playing the clip but just reminder for everyone, the three New Testament sexual ethic rules here are honor God with your body, don't be mastered by anything, and don't sexualize relationships outside of marriage. So he's narrowed everything down to these three points. Now, if you read what the New Testament says about these three points, if you go to passages like uh, Romans chapter one, obviously is is probably the the standard and most, um, I would say, uh, obvious passage where you find uh, teaching on homosexuality, then it's disqualified from these broad principles. But, but this is a tactic that um, you see people who want to somehow justify women pastors and other things that would be acceptable to the world uh, and are kind of now seen as archaic in the church. That's how things used to be. They shouldn't be that way anymore. They often will justify things based on very broad principles. Sometimes it's nothing more than uh, we're supposed to love other people. And that means getting an experimental jab. Right. So th- that's what happens when you try to soft pedal sin. I've seen that if you're trying to justify it biblically is you you go, you appeal to very broad categories and then you insert in those broad categories what you think uh, should be honoring God with your body, um, not being mastered by anything and not sexualizing relationships outside of marriage. I mean, you you could go through these and you could say, well, um, I'm honoring God with my body by being monogamous with this particular Person of the same sex, uh, I'm not being mastered by it because uh, I'm I'm not addicted to it. Uh, I'm not. Uh, there's other things in my life that I'm I'm doing, and it's not causing a problem in my life. And then you could say, well, I, I'm I'm marrying the person, right? Uh, this is the kind of stance the world would really have no problem with this because they'd say, okay, yeah, you're you're Christian, and you're you know maybe some would would think that the the marriage thing's kind of old fashioned, but I think that's Andy's safety mechanism he's trying to appeal to that to to show christians who are criticizing him that see i'm still old-fashioned i still believe in the biblical sexual ethics says you got to be married to have sex and you know that's that's within the church that's acceptable to the world though to for if most of the time i would say people think okay if you're keeping that in the church don't impose it on me but if you keep it in the church and that's what, what you believe fine um, but, uh, you, you should never, um, say that gay marriages are illegitimate, or, uh, that it, they're wrong or sinful or th- that kind of thing. And that's where, uh, Andy goes wrong. So, uh, someone mentioned in chat, he's a Marcionite. Yes. That, that would be, I think, a fair description of Andy's view of the old Testament. He, he definitely follows, uh, a Marcion uh, trajectory, an ancient church heresy. All right. Let's keep listening to what Andy has to say here.
1: And honest people say yeah it created some complications (laughs) well then what do you expect your heavenly father to say who loves you and loves the person whose life you may have set back what do you think their heavenly father is going to say about sexual activity when oftentimes our sex outside of marriage makes you a liar for life because you're never going to tell the truth about your past because you're too ashamed What, what do you what do you expect so The the message is the same for everybody sex is for married people Um, regarding marriage. And this feels weird to even say this, but just make sure everybody knows where we are. We talk about marriage or we talk about and teach about marriage the same way Jesus and the apostles did. Every instruction in the Bible regarding marriage references or assumes a husband and a wife, a man or a woman. So biblical marriage, biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. We've never shied away from that. We don't change the words in order not to offend people. Now, here's what may surprise all of us straight people. The gay attenders in our churches, they aren't shocked that we talk that way. They aren't shocked by that. They expect that. They grew up on that. They hoped for that.
0: Okay, two things because he's going in a direction here where he's creating uh, a sense of sympathy or maybe empathy for the people who attend the churches. He's saying they're they're right next to you. They're they're in the pew next to you, perhaps. I don't know if they use pews at his church, but but uh, they're they're here among us, worshiping the same as you, and yet you know they, they 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 don't have a problem with anything I just said. That's what he's trying to say is that look, I'm acceptable to them to gay people. Now, um, I I just went through the three principles before and said, hey, you could easily infuse anything you want into this. You could you could even justify gay marriage based on what Andy's uh, saying here. And of course, he's had people who seem to, uh, at least on some level, endorse same sex marriage, uh, be involved in conferences. And and he's defending it. But then he turns around and he says, at our church, we also do believe marriage is between a man and a woman. So (laughs) if that's the case then why promote people? Why, why have people come in to participate in conferences who are uh, who are, are are at the very least putting a crack in that? They are saying that go on, on a certain level, endorse these evil ceremonies and do so because it's in the name of love. This is, I think, the dance that you're going to be seeing uh, more and more from a lot of so-called evangelical leaders who, uh, and not just evangelicals. I mean, this is going to be, I think it's just in a lot of different traditions within Christendom. The Mormons have certainly capitulated on this big time. Um, the, more and more, there's a pressure to somehow find a third way. A find a way between the biblical sexual ethic, the true one that forbids the things the Old Testament also forbade. And at the same time, Um, tries to harmonize itself with what the world is currently engaged in and thinks is acceptable. So and there's all kinds of strange recipes floating around about this. Some people will say, well, inside the church, we have this, but outside, it's fine. You can even have same sex marriages. And um, a lot of people are going down that road. And they think that they're going to buy time or buy acceptance by doing that. Uh, Some are, you know, taking all kinds of contradictory positions. Andy's kind of in that camp, I'd say he's He's definitely uh, promoting and uh, affirming the desires, the same sex attractions and all those kinds of things. And and he does it on the basis of God hasn't taken away. People are people want to get rid of them, but they, they're they not getting rid of them. And they're they're good Christians. And so somehow they're still acceptable. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they can't really get married, I guess. But uh, but again, I mean, even he's he's partnering with people who are to the left of him, according to what he's saying here on this question. So I, 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 look at it as a, as a, a trajectory and the final state of the um, the train that Andy's on is going to lead to a full embracement of this. But along the way he's getting criticism because look, he was, he's got what was an evangelical church and was at least uh, the reputation of his father certainly was a strong conservative evangelical. And so he's this is hedging, I think, against the criticism. And I'm not saying he's not sincere in it. Maybe he believes this, but but it's a direction that he's headed. This isn't consistent. He hasn't he hasn't said these things. He didn't hold a conference uh, on trying to somehow affirm and um, help parents with children who have these particular attractions and and what they think of as orientations, he he didn't do that 15 years ago. Hold a conference on that, and, and how to um, to counsel them so that they can somehow affirm their kids and let their kids know that they're they're very loved, uh, and 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 that means also uh, accepting them and accepting their uh, that that's how they are made. I mean, that's what Andy assumes from the get go. We already played the clip that um, these are gay people, right? They're gay people. They they have that, and it's before any action that they've done. So he has, he wasn't saying this 15 years ago, but he's he's acting like he the, nothing's changed. That's the deceit. That's the poison pill that he's he's taking uh, people on. He's, he's saying that they if you've been attending his church for a, a number of years, that hey, nothing's changed here. You you can still financially support us and come and attend and be part of what we're doing because it's it's never it, it's never changed. Guess what changed? The climate changed, the political climate. And That's why people are attacking me. That's that's nonsense. If anything, the political climate has gotten more hostile against Christians who have these views. So let's let's finish this out here, uh, Andy's clip.
1: They pray for that. They prayed that God would change them so they could experience that high staffing groups with small groups of gay men, 35 and up to 65. And watch them weep because they, never, they don't have family they couldn't have
0: family tried- listen to the dramatic pauses in there. i mean he, he's really jerking on your heartstrings trying to get you to cry trying to get you to feel to empathize to this it's so horrible this is such a classic tactic i mean like people like uh you know greg coles uses this tactic of you know, how, how much, how much, how godly are you? I mean, you must be so godly if you're foregoing some of these things and living as a gay person. So you're still living as a gay person. You still have that identity. You're still identifying with your sin. And it's not actually taken away from you because either it's not sin because it's in the category of desire. And that's the concupiscence problem. Or uh, it's it, you'd have to say it's not a big deal. Something along those lines. Right. And but then we're, we're not going to have a family because we know what the Bible says about that. So we should we, we should feel very sorry for us. And when we choose to forego those desires, it makes us like super Christians. This is one of the problems um, the Gospel Coalition has had is they've in, in a number of articles have given the impression that there's almost like a a, a higher standard of Christianity, which is is greater than hetero I mean here's the thing I know plenty of heterosexual people right uh who are, are attracted to the opposite sex and um and I don't even like using that language because it's not the the biblical language is we are all designed by God to be attracted to the opposite sex. And those who have disordered desires, that's something to mortify. But but people who uh don't have a problem with those kinds of desires, they actually do have a desire for the opposite sex and uh and and, and there's no temptation, uh, in the other direction. Um, you know, I forgot what I was saying now. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. I was making a good point. It was a brilliant point, but now I forgot it. All right. Um, let me see if I can get it back. So yeah. Okay. So people, so people who are, um, who have these, these, uh, who consider themselves to be straight and th- they're living a life, uh, you, you know, that, that is, that, that is holy to God in that way. Uh, approved by God right they're they're pursuing things in, in the right way that the Bible describes that we're supposed to pursue them the, when they um, when they get married there's no problem they, there's no uh, they're, they're they're doing everything according to the biblical plan. when a homosexual person, uh, gets married, they're breaking the biblical plan. So, so a a straight person can participate, and a, a a homosexual person cannot. But here's the problem: there's tons of quote unquote straight people who aren't married. They're they're older, they're bachelors. They're I mean, I, I have some in my family, some I'm I'm close I'm, uh, friends that they've had to, and guess what they've had to do? They've had to be sexually pure for decades, while not getting married. I mean, isn't that also a struggle, a real one, and probably and a more holy one in a way? I mean, because these are, uh, in principle, good desires to have, but you can't actually uh, advance them at all. Whereas in the case of someone who's homosexual, it's evil desires that you can't advance. And we're supposed to think that's somehow holier or that there's this godliness attached to that. No, there's not. Um, Now, of course, mortifying sin, that's that's what all Christians should do. But it's not like there's a special category for homosexuals, though, where they they are allowed to have this desire and this identity and these inclinations and temptations and all of that. And they should be held up and put in church leadership positions and seen as as extra godly because they're not getting married and they're not participating in the physical act. No. No. I mean, those, those desires need to die. These, these are still very disordered desires. And, and my heart does go out to the people who, who struggle in these areas through their own sin or or the sin that's been committed upon them by other people. and, And it's, uh, contributed to producing these things. Uh, they are, they are, they are bearing a burden, but it is a burden. It doesn't, doesn't mean that they're, we, we, we should just, our heartstrings should, uh, be pulled in the direction of accepting that condition as if it's a godly condition, just because it's not, it's not a godly condition. The godliness is the fighting it. So.
1: That ...in godliness answer their prayer. And many are convinced that traditional marriage is not an option for them. So they commit to living a chaste life and old fashioned word And for many men and men, women who put their faith in Christ they just decide, okay, I'm just going to buckle down. I'm just going, I'm just going to bear down. I'm just going to be by myself. I'm not going to have family. I'm going to be sexually pure, and many, 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 many do that for long seasons of time. And some, for some, it's 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 their whole life, but for many, that is not sustainable. And so they choose the same-sex marriage, not because they're convinced it's biblical. They read the same Bible we do. They chose to marry for the same reason many of us did. Love, companionship, and family. And in the end, as is the case for all of us, this is the important thing I want you to hear me say, it's their decision. Our decision is to decide how we respond to their decision. Our decision as a group of local churches is how are we going to respond to their decisions. And we decided 28 years ago, we draw circles, we don't draw lines. We draw big circles. If someone desires to follow Jesus, regardless of their starting point, regardless of their past, regardless of their current circumstances, our message is, come and see and come sit with me. And this is not new. This is who we are. It's who we've always been, and this is why I love our church, and this is why I'm so extraordinarily proud of you. We aren't condoning sin we are restoring relationships and we are literally saving lives
0: there you have it literally saving lives some people are complaining that rightfully complaining that i guess uh, the audio of andy is kind of low so just so everyone knows i haven't uploaded the audio version i don't do that until i'm done um, and I'll go back and listen. And at the very least I'll, I'll try to adjust that for the audio version. Uh, if, uh, if you want to share that around, but, um, anyway, what, what, Andy just said, and I think it's important to focus on that last line, they're saving lives, saving lives at North point. And he, he basically justifies homosexual marriage at the end. He says, look, it's, it's not cause it's biblical. It's you, you gotta feel sorry for these people. They're, they're this is just the closest thing they can try to they don't they don't want to be immoral they don't want to have sex outside of marriage so so they decide to get married in, in a gay marriage because this is the closest thing that they can possibly uh, where they can exercise their desires which which according to you know our our liberal mindset in the united states and the western world it, it it's like tyranny if you can't express your desires and so that's that's the highest good is to express your desires so um So for people to be uh, shamed for it or not like that—that's a terrible thing. So he's trying to—he's saying that there's there's this uh, there's he's putting it on like a good, better, best plane. He's saying that well, it's not the best, it's not biblical, but but it's it's good. It's a good thing that they're doing this. That they're trying to not uh, have sex out of wedlock, so they're getting married. I'm telling you, he's going to go farther into this. I mean, he's going to start finding that the Bible, in his mind, uh, somehow endorses homosexuality and homosexual marriages and stuff soon he's saying now he's, he's trying to hold on to the bible by saying well it's not biblical but you, you should really not you should not be so hard on the people that do that because look they're, they're trying to do something that's better it's better to have a commitment and fidelity than to be uh, just you know having sex with anyone and, and, and a player and that kind of thing so uh that, that's what he's doing but I, I would say that's an affirmation right there and that's where andy stanley's at it's super sad and I'm sorry to see it. Um, We've been going about 53 minutes, surprisingly. I thought it was shorter than that. Time flies. So I don't want to go too much longer here, but I will take some questions. If you have any questions or comments uh, about this, uh, please uh, get them in now. Uh, I know I should have probably flagged some of the comments. I'm going to try to find them if I can now. Um, Some people were asking about the Roman Catholic uh, concupiscence idea here. Uh, now I'm, I'm having trouble finding them in the chat. If someone wants to already wrote that and they want to put it in the chat again, uh, go for it. Yeah, Some really good comments here. Uh, John Grant says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So yeah, I think that makes a good point about trying to somehow justify accepting sin based upon love. The, no, you can't. Uh, the Obeying God's commandments is love. That's how we know that we we love God as we obey his commandments. And so uh, that's how the world will know that you are my disciples. So you can't, making that separation between this is the command of God, but here's the love for somebody who's breaking the command, which means somehow endorsing that breaking of the command, it's not possible. And it's it is new. It's innovative. It really is. It's it's for this particular circumstance because there's so much pressure on the church. I'm convinced. Um, yes, <laughs> you're famous now, John. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> all all 300 people streaming. Um, is Andy SBC? That's a good question. I don't know if he still is um, or not. That's a good question. I bet I could find out real quick if he's SBC. Um, Because, I mean, he's he's replying to a criticism from Al Mohler, which is uh, w- would make me think that there's at least some overlap there. Whether or not uh, he himself is still his church is still in the SBC. Yeah, I'm not finding a confirmation of that. Maybe someone can put in the chat whether he's still in the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm not finding any articles. Yeah, it just it just says that the, I guess the criticisms from Al Mohler um, were particularly, um, potent. So there must be some overlap there because Al Mohler's influence is primarily potent, I would say in the SBC. So good question there. Um, okay. So someone, Sean Graham says North Point church voluntary affiliates with the Southern Baptist convention and its local state and national expressions. And he is, I believe quoting from their website. So, uh, yeah, they are, they are in the SBC. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, that this is a major SBC church that means a major a mega church that is going down this road. So it's a problem in the SBC. Uh, so, some people think that, well, it's the PCA that has the revoice problem. No, the SBC has it too. It definitely does. It's not in the same way perhaps, uh, or to the same extent, but it's definitely there and um, and I've seen it at, at a number of places. I means sam albury is platformed at southern seminary right so which is a flagship seminary so i mean it, it it's around for sure um lots of comments lots of comments coming in is the sbc doing anything about this i mean you'd think that if they're going to disfellowship quote-unquote racists uh you would think that this would be a, an easier call but uh, this is this would be in, big i mean uh, disfellowshipping Rick Warren was a big thing, right? So this, this would be also pretty big. Cause this is the son of a person of, of, of a major figure in the conservative resurgence with a lot of respect. So maybe, maybe is Andy's argument, the same reason God deposed King Saul I'm trying to understand that question. Um, is Andy's argument the same reason God, did. maybe you can clarify what you mean by that. I mean, yeah, I, I'm assuming it, it, the question is, when King Saul was deposed for his disobedience to God, was it a similar rationale that King Saul used, that he was uh, merely taking the the cattle and the goods and, and, and everything that was supposed to be destroyed, he took them for himself uh, and he did so justifying it that this was, we're going to sacrifice to the Lord and that kind of thing. Uh, I I, I guess I can see a parallel there. If that's the question that Andy is trying to, he's not obeying the Lord, right? But he's justifying it based upon what he thinks is a higher good that the Lord also commands. So pitting God's law against itself, supposedly. Yeah, Yeah. I guess I can see that. Um. See other questions coming in. The Roman Catholic dogma of the perpetual virginity of Mary makes it clear that St. Joseph uh, led a celebrate, a celeb. I'm not sure exactly. I'm not sure exactly what uh, Babory Lane is. Is If you could maybe rephrase that. Maybe I'm just blind and I'm not understanding the question. Uh, there was another one and I'm looking for it on Roman Catholicism but I can't find it now and it's kind of killing me that I can't find it. I should have started Uh, when I saw it so that I could go back to it, but, um, hopefully I'll hit it in, in my closing monologue here. So any, any other questions before we, we land the plane? Um, celibate, celibate. Okay. I guess the question was celibate. (laughs) Wait, John wrong. North point. What did I, what was I wrong? Did I say, did I say saddleback instead of North point? I meant North point. I, I was saying that well I, what i was trying to say was that it was it took the sbc a lot to kick saddle back out so that was this would be similar kicking north point out that's what i was trying to say if uh, in case i said that wrong sorry um so pe- people in the chat are are going a little uh <laughs> Sean's saying he was wrong now so so now i'm i'm wondering is is north point uh connected to the SBC. so he's got a link here. I can't really copy and paste that unfortunately but um, so I, I I guess maybe if someone could confirm that I thought that he was putting a, uh, a direct quote from their website. so yeah let me know let me know if uh, if that's wrong. Um, if they are in the SBC, which to me that wasn't that wasn't the topic of the podcast so I didn't uh, I didn't focus on it. but if they are in the SBC that is kind of a big deal. Okay, so someone is now confirming they're not part of the SBC. All right, well, here live we uh we <laughs> we have figured out that North Point has gone from the SBC to not in the SBC. okay, Sean is saying he was incorrect, so I don't know where he got that from. Um, so uh there's there's another north Point i I got it. okay, there's an <laughs> so we're confusing North Point churches now, so. I'm glad that Andy's church is not in the SBC there. There's gotta be some overlap though. Cause Andy talks about this Al Moeller article doing damage and that this is affecting missionary support and, and ministries that they're involved with. So I, I, there's gotta be some overlap here, I think, but um, I'm glad to hear that he's not technically in the SBC. All right. Closing. I just want to say this about this whole ordeal. Um, you know, I, I started the whole video playing a montage from Tim Staples and others. Who are Roman Catholic thinkers, respected Roman Catholic thinkers, who make the argument? They they have more uh, more than Andy <laughs> intellectual justification for uh, why they believe that desires aren't necessarily sins, even if the desire is for something sinful. And I think that that is probably the root of where and, of Andy's problem is that he actually agrees with them. On this particular point, which is contrary to the Protestant understanding of desire, that actually uh, our desires for evil things are in the in and of themselves uh, those things are sin or sinful, and so um, when Andy Stanley talks about being gay and, and having this orientation or this this pattern of desires, but uh, not acting on it, not sinning, he's he's making a very firm distinction, and he's trying to justify. That having the identity uh, is perfectly acceptable, but having the uh, taking part in the action uh, may not be. But even there, he's waffling. And, and this is one of the things I've said for a long time now on this podcast is once you go down adopting same-sex desires uh, attraction as a legitimate category, the problem is that will naturally lead you to a, saying that the actions are also somehow legitimate. I don't see a way to really stop that, because if if the desires for something is now um, somehow acceptable, uh, you're going to then have to say that it must not be disordered. It it you can't say it's acceptable and it's disordered. Like it's either one or the other. So if it's not disordered, that means it must be. There must be something potentially natural about it. And if it's natural, uh, then this this is the question is: Is this part of of, uh, sinful, uh, original sin. And is it created from original sin or is this part of creation and God's creation? Um, Greg Coles for, I don't know why I keep bringing him up, but he keeps coming to mind. Uh, he's, he's obviously a Protestant who advocates this kind of a view. I mean, he tries to make the argument that it's like a disability. So, uh, when God create th- th- that, this could be something that God uses to show forth his, grace uh show his, uh, his his mercy and he uses these disabilities uh for uh but 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 he's the one that created you know as he told moses he created uh the blind and the deaf and these kinds of things so so there is this this try attempt to categorize it as part of of uh nature in some way and and maybe marred by the, the fall of sin somehow but it's not actually tied directly to um, to original sin in the sense of it's the consequences, but it's not, the, it's not motivated by it. And, and the Protestant understanding, and I think the Christian understanding and the biblical understanding is actually that these actions are motivated by internal desires from original sin that are evil in and of themselves. And, and it's from the heart that these things, these things come forth. As Jesus said, uh, all, all the, the evils, the blasphemies and the idolatries and all of that come from the heart of man. So, for the actions to be sinful, the desires for those actions also have to be sinful, and 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 so there's these creative ways that um, I I think Roman Catholics have done probably have been more consistent on this, and they're not as innovative. They've at least have a, a tradition now for a few centuries that um, that that does create a space for this, but but it's wrong. It's in error, and it will necessarily lead people to the conclusion that this is somehow an acceptable part of God's creation. And if it's an acceptable part of God's creation, why not act on it? Why would that be wrong? Um, I mean, the, the, the questions that come is, why would God give you then desire? They're not from sin. Why, why would God be giving you desires for things that uh, that you can't ever uh, fulfill? And, and then paralleling those desires with good natural desires that's God's given, that are part of God's will actually, his general will for all people. All right, so uh, last, last uh, questions are coming in here, and I'll just try to um, answer whatever I can. Uh, okay, Tim Miller's trying to clarify his question. Now I don't remember what his question was. Uh, let's see if you can rephrase it, Tim. Um, I guess he's advocating prosecuting people who abuse children. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I think you know that should be that, that has been traditionally part of our legal system. He says, uh, "You cannot sin without choosing sin. Not how it works." Um, okay, I, mean, I, I don't know. You, you have to. Sorry, I, I don't do well with the with the shorthand. Uh, sometimes it has to be spelled out pretty, um, uh, just pretty um, directly for me, because because otherwise I will misunderstand. Okay, so yeah, people are are coming in and, and reaffirming that uh, North Point is not part of the SBC. So good. Um our nature is completely polluted with sin. Well, it's it's certainly uh we, we certainly have total depravity. We also, though, have uh good desires that God has given from creation. The, for example, the desire to provide for your young, right? And the desire to have children, the desire to um uh to love your spouse and those kinds of things. There non-Christians can actually operate in these ways. Doesn't mean that their motives are completely pure. Their there's sinfulness. Um, I think I, I could say attached to or, or part of even those things uh, in the motives. If it's not ultimately out of gratitude for God and, th- and that kind of thing, but um, when Jesus said, "Even the unrighteous, even the evil father, gives his son a fish uh, when he asks for a fish and not a snake," that goes to show you that there is there is an earthly good, and that's the, the probably the the most common. Phrase I use is earthly good, good versus heavenly good, or versus eternal good. Uh, earthly good can be accomplished by uh, non Christians, even even though even their earthly good though will can potentially damn them. That's the thing that's uh, if they're because because they're not doing it again for the glory of God, they're not uh, doing it with gratitude to God, um, but they are operating out of an instinct that God has given, and that's why when people like when mothers kill their children, everyone says, well, that's like sociopathic. There's so there's a problem there. That's a deep, dark thing, right? Because it's the natural tendency of everyone. So, so that's, I think that that separation has to be made here with, with same sex attraction. Where do you categorize it? Can it be an earthly good? Can it be something that, well, maybe it doesn't, uh, God doesn't approve of it, but maybe there's some, maybe, maybe that's even natural. Maybe, maybe that's, the case well i i would submit no i mean i think that's what romans one is arguing against that these are disorder desires these are fundamentally unnatural that there's no there's no part of god's plan included that and so the desires that uh th- that fr- produce the actions are are evil um all right well <laughs> Yeah. I don't, Tim, I don't, I I do not know what you're, I'm sorry. Maybe it's my fault, but, um, if you, if you rephrase your question, um, maybe I can, uh, understand and, and get to it. Um, I'm sure it made a lot of sense, but I can't, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what you're getting at. Oh, maybe it's this one. Maybe, maybe. Okay. I, I, maybe because uh, I see some people reacting to this. All right. This Second to last comment. I'll take one, one comment or question after this. He says, I'm confused as to how someone can be sinning by having a thought, especially one they didn't actively try to have. Okay. This wasn't the normal view for 1500 plus years. Also, most people are same-sex attracted. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Uh, most people are same-sex attracted. I, I'm pretty sure most people are not same-sex attracted. So I, I would really be curious to know where that thinking comes from. I, at most even the most hardened gay activists, I wouldn't think would make the claim most people are same sex attracted. So maybe that was a typo. I don't know. Uh, but the normal, the normal view, okay. For 1500 years, I guess is, is, uh, someone can be sinning. Okay. Okay. So, so if someone having a thought doesn't mean sinning yeah, that, but that wasn't the view for 1500 years. Uh, so it's not that Protestants were innovative and they just decided one day, well, we're just going to reject, no, the, it, this is stuff that, um, this was actually one of the dividing lines of the Reformation. Uh, it, not as big as, you know, justification, um, by, uh, faith alone in, in Christ alone through grace alone. But, uh, but this, this was certainly an issue was, um, the issue of original sin and, and the issue of baptism and what, what does, what, what is the effect of baptism, um, you you see some hybrid positions. I think the Lutherans actually have a bit of a hybrid position on this, but, but you'll see in the more Calvinistic leaning reformation uh, traditions, uh, they would have rejected that the the, uh, baptism does not get rid of original sin. And then of course, what does that even mean getting rid of original sin? It doesn't, um, it, it doesn't mean that now you can have desires that are somehow, um, they're not rooted in original sin, but we just, we get them. And, uh, those desires now aren't in the category of sin because you can't have that because original sin's already been dealt with. But if you act on them, then, then it becomes a sin. I mean, this isn't even a biblical, where do you even go in the Bible to try to justify that kind of thing? It's, it's fairly innovative. Um, but, but there's a lot of Protestants now trying to say very similar things. So, um, I do plan just so everyone knows, I do plan uh, to have a longer discussion about concupiscence, And the issue comes up every time I talk about it. Uh, I have, I have a fly in front of me. I don't know where that came from. Um, There's people who are uh, concerned. Sometimes they have experiences where they've been abused as a child and that's created problems later on down the line. So they say, this person sinned against me. So how can I be held responsible? And, and the fact of the matter is, I mean, people sin against us in all kinds of ways. I mean, if I was raised by a violent father. And then I went and and did violence against others. Could I blame my father for that? Well, I could say that my father contributed certainly to the tendencies that I have and made it acceptable to me. And uh, there was a pattern formed and a habit formed, but um, can I say that uh, I'm not somehow now responsible for desiring to murder people? No. I mean, it's still a responsibility I have. I have a responsibility to mortify those things. So, um, we've talked about it before you can go back to some of my, um, episodes where I talk about concupiscence and I, I had Jared Moore on, but I think I'm going to do some more. I'm going to have Jared Moore on probably again, since he just published a book on this and I might do my own uh, podcast really going into detail on the Roman Catholic versus the, the Protestant, uh, historic positions on this topic. Cause I think it does, it is important and it does come into play in discussions like this. Um, so, so that was a wetting your taste playing those clips at the beginning uh, I'm going to play those clips again for you at, at a later point. Uh, and I know some people have asked me to do that. So, uh, one more, did I say one more? Qu- I don't, one more comment, one more comment. We'll do one more. Um, let's see. Well, everything now is just positive. I can't, <laughs> I wanted a challenging one here. All right. Well, we'll, we'll just Andy Stanley, uh, his parsing on this issue is ridiculous, and he knows it. It's simply pandering. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of agree. I hate to say it. Uh, I, I, I kind of agree. I, I don't think there's anything other than a pressure. Um, I, you know, even, you know, even if you go back in Roman Catholic history, you're not going to find this same push for specifically homosexuality, right? Uh, that's. It's not like the Roman Catholic position is like, we're fine with homos. It's not, it's not. Um, I'm just saying that there's, you can try to use a logic that they've had for centuries to, to try to create a middle path here. But, um, but no, this is a very new kind of thing to justify this very new. It's a, it's a result of modernity really. I mean, it's, it's, it's within the last uh, 200 years Um, and, and more specifically really in our context in the United States, I would say, and we're really talking within the last 50 or so years that you even started to see this kind of um, talk. It's so new. Um, When I was doing uh, research for uh, Social Justice Goes to Church, a book I published a few years ago, I was was specifically trying to trace in evangelicalism where this thinking came from, that same-sex attraction was perfectly fine. And the, the, the farthest back I could go with it In any, in any even semi mainstream capacity, it wasn't, and it was even fringy what I was looking at kind of, but was, it was like the late sixties, early seventies. I mean, it's so new. It really, really is. So, um, all right. Well, uh, I appreciate everyone tuning in. And if you go to the info section for this video, you will find the cleaned up audio. If you want to listen to it there, uh, on, on YouTube, um, you can go to Protestia and get the raw audio if you want to go to protestia.com. And um, I will be uploading a version of this for the audio podcast. And hopefully I'll be able to get those audio levels better that, that people were saying, I guess, weren't weren't that great. So you can look forward to that and maybe share that around uh, on social media if you think it'll help people. God bless. More coming later in the week. by now.